This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. to Wrestling Omakase. It is episode number 225, and this week I am pleased to be joined by two returning guests. First of all, uh, making her second straight appearance, actually, it is Jerry. Hello, Jerry. The streak is alive. Yes. Um, (laughs) Hey, how are you doing? Pretty good. Uh, I just talked to you last week, so anything major happened in the past week? I've just gotten 15% cuter, so you should all get to know that, so... That's about it. There you go. Uh, So, yes, uh, Jerry's back here. Also back with us from Voices Wrestling, although it's been quite a while, longer than one week, Mr. Neil David. Hello, Neil. Hi. Yeah, it's been, I think, April I was back on. But, yeah, um, yeah, it's been been, been quite a while. Yeah. So you you saw WWE and you were like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I just I thought it was more the time that I was free. I mean, I I, I think modern WWE, but actually I was quite glad I did this one because it's I think this is going to be a few of my talking points. Just the difference between the '90s era of WWE and the WWE now is just like it's. Well, it goes from a promotion that I would watch to a promotion that I never watch. So you know, it's quite yeah. The difference is 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 stark. I'm going to be nice to WWE. I've watched. Uh, I mean, look, Raw still seems quite horrible, but I've watched SmackDown. I think, I think it's been what two weeks or three weeks since the fans came back, and I found it to be okay. Um, I haven't like stopped watching so far. I definitely fast forward through parts of it, but like, you know, I wasn't even watching it like partially on DVR, you know, uh, either during COVID, obviously, or even pre-COVID. But I don't know. I've, like, maybe it's the John Cena being there. Maybe it's uh. I, I dig the Roman Reigns character, but there's something about SmackDown that's like at least been watchable. Does not it does seem to be hot. It has a bit of a buzz to it now that it's not had for. I can't even remember when it was just. It's not just people. I mean, obviously, apart from today with Bray Wyatt um, being let go, but it just <laughs> the buzz just seems to be people actually watching it, which is a yeah. bit a bit different from normal. I mean, I don't. I haven't watched Raw really, so I mean, I tried to watch like uh, the Raw after I guess Money in the Bank when. Cena showed up and it was like, ah, that's the same old shit. I turned it, I turned that off pretty quickly. I, but yeah, SmackDown, SmackDown seems watchable. Yeah, with Raw, I always fall in a trap where someone will go, Raw is actually good. And you're like, okay, I'll watch. And it's like, what was I expecting? <laughs> it's Why do I keep hard. falling for this? <laughs> yeah. 
it's self-flagellation at this point, isn't it? Like we've been burned thousands of times. Burned if you watch it, times. it's on you. <laughs> but I feel like there's like a 0.01% of me that wants it to be good. You know, it's not like it's not like I'm sitting around going, God, I hope Raw remains terrible forever. You know, I want it to be good. It's just it's a long way of ever being good. <laughs> yeah. But uh so I've been I have been watching more American wrestling lately between SmackDown and Dynamite, which has also been good since fans have come back. So everything just feels yeah. like it has an extra pep in its step now that fans are back. Yeah, like I said, it can't it can't save Raw, but it has helped some other shows. Um, you know, you know what character I really enjoy right now. I, I, this is like the weirdest character, but I, he plays it so straight that you honestly can't help but feel bad for him. I really like Broke Baron Corbin. He comes out I there do every too. week, yeah, making, making really these like, like puppy, making these like puppy dog eyes. You like you, it is a funny character because, like, on one hand, you you know you shouldn't feel bad for this guy, and they tell you this over and over again. But like, yeah, you've been a jerk for like eight years, buddy. So you're kind of getting your comeuppance here. But he plays it so straight and so, and he does like I don't know, like his sad face is so sad looking that you can't help yourself but feel bad for this guy. And there's so. a reality to it as well. Like we've all been in that position where we've 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 aimed to get something, not quite got there. Everything the rug's been pulled out from under us in our lives, and we've just sat on a bench on our own, you know. And it's just there's just something really human about someone who is up until this point just been a bit of a joke, really. <laughs> like you know, yeah. it was it the, the one thing where I think of Baron Corbin is did he shout at Apollo Cruz, go back to Ring of Honor, at a wrestler who'd never been in Ring of Honor. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's Baron Corbin to me in a nutshell. <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. I very I like the broke Baron Corbin thing, so that's been a funny little gimmick. So yes, rare world wrestling entertainment praise here on Wrestling Omakase. But uh, enjoy it while it lasts. Enjoy it while it lasts, indeed. Uh, but yes, we are here to talk about world wrestling entertainment. We're going to do a little bit of a SummerSlam retro roulette. Now, obviously, we're doing this because it's August, first of all, uh, and SummerSlam, of course, coming up this month. Um, I guess a little bit of scheduling notes. So today, obviously, it's August 1st. So this is a free episode of Wrestling Omakase, obviously. You may have noticed that we're doing uh, every other week on the free feed now and only doing, uh, you know, so basically you end up with like two free episodes a month and the other two are exclusive to the Patreon. Now, because next weekend I will be at the Otakon convention, the uh, anime convention down in Washington, D.C., uh, there will be no episode at all next weekend. Uh, just, you know, I just don't have time to do one. I mean, there's really nothing else to it. I mean, I leave Thursday and I don't get back until like late night Sunday. And then obviously I have like work on Monday. So it's just very difficult for me to, you know, make an episode work. So no episode at all next weekend. The week the episode two weeks from now uh, will be Patreon exclusive because you have to do the Patreon. You know, the the, the people who pay me come first. And then, so the next free episode will be three weeks from today. I guess it's a long-winded way to say, uh, if you're on the free feed, you will not hear from me again uh, for another three weeks when we'll be doing the, we'll review this year's SummerSlam, plus I believe some other shows too. Let me see what the hell I broke down. Uh, I think like a New Japan thing or something is that weekend. Is that the, that might be the, oh no, I think it's too early to be the, what's it called? The MetLife Wrestle Grand Slam. Uh, oh, it's Peter Pan is that weekend, the big DDT Kawasaki show. So yeah, we'll be reviewing those two shows, SummerSlam and DDT Wrestle Peter Pan from Kawasaki uh, in three weeks on the free feed. But 
Of course, if you want to hear from me before three weeks from now, maybe you want, maybe you don't want to hear from me until three weeks from now. Maybe it's a, you know, a break from John, which I can understand. But if you do want to hear from me before that, uh, you can always sign up for the Wrestling Omakase Patreon, which only costs five dollars per month. Uh, you can sign up at Patreon.com/slash Wrestling Omakase. Um, you know, it's a great time to sign up here at the very start of the month. We're in the middle of doing a series covering every Tokyo Dome main event in order. Uh, we just got through 1997. The last episode I did was the, the Shinya Hashimoto versus Naoya Ogawa match, which is just a crazy story from a lot of perspectives. I mean, you know, the the plan of uh, Antonio Inoki and the original Tiger Mask to try to take over the, uh, the very young world of M- MMA and you know, who it was originally supposed to be in that match against Hashimoto before before Vince McMahon pulled him out. And, uh, you know, a lot of wild stuff goes into that match. Uh, so it's a lot of fun to talk about. And we'll be getting into 1998 this week. I will do that before I leave for Otakon. So that'll be another new Tokyo Dome main event episode. Uh, and, yeah, that'll be, you know, we'll be covering the, uh, the Ricky Choshu retirement show with Kensuke Sasaki and Keiji Muto as the main event. So that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, and then after that, uh, two weeks from today, our next Patreon-exclusive full episode, we'll be covering the New Japan Resurgence show uh, from August 14th in Los Angeles, uh, the DET Summer Vacation Corkin from August 15th, and the Tokyo Joshi Princess Cup finals also from the 15th. So a lot of fun stuff coming up, all on the Patreon exclusively. Uh, if you don't sign up, obviously, you're going to have to wait three weeks for the next uh, Omakase. So if you do sign up, you'll get the Tokyo Dome main event series. You'll get a Patreon-exclusive episode in two weeks. Uh, lots of fun stuff. And plus, you get the entire... If you've never been a patron before, I mean, you get the entire audio archive. So I've done tons of Patreon-exclusive episodes before. I've done tons of uh, other one-match series covering, you know, all the prior Tokyo Dome main events. Uh, all the Okada Tanahashi matches in order, uh, Naito Tanahashi, um, Naito Ishii, just tons of stuff on there. So again, it's been a, over a year now since we started it. So there is just tons and tons of audio on there for you to dig into. So it's only five bucks and it's at patreon.com slash wrestling omakase. All right, we got the cheap plug out of the way. So let's get into this week's theme. So if you've never listened to a, a retro roulette, very simple concept here. We are picking six random SummerSlam, so six random years of SummerSlam. And then from each SummerSlam, we put the matches into the same, you know, random number generator and come up with a random match from each one. So we do these in chronological order. And the first one we got was SummerSlam 1991, the fourth SummerSlam, uh, which was with the tagline, a match made in heaven, a match made in hell. Very, uh, Early 90s WWF tagline. Uh, this was from Madison Square Garden, uh, August 26th, 1991. Uh, we had Gorilla Monsoon, Bobby Heenan, and Roddy Piper on commentary. Quite the mix. The Just going to go down through the full card here, and then I'll reveal what match we got. The opener, the British Bulldog, the Dragon, Ricky Simbo, and the Texas Tornado, Kerry Von Erich, defeating Power and Glory, Hercules and Paul Roma, and the Warlord with Slick. And 1043. Then we had the Intercontinental title on the line, Bret Hart defeating Mr. Perfect with Coach. Always forget about Coach. Uh, that's, of course, uh, John Tolos. But uh, in a lesser run for him, I believe. 
But yeah, Bret Hart beat Mr. Perfect in 1804 to win the Intercontinental title. Uh, then we had the Natural Disasters, Earthquake and Typhoon, beating the Bushwhackers in 627. Uh, Virgil beating Ted DiBiase in 1311 to win the Million Dollar title. Uh, the Loser Has to Spend a Night in Jail match. Yeah. The Big Boss <laughs> Man defeats the Mountie. <laughs> In 938, uh, the WF World Tag Team titles, the Legion of Doom, Animal and Hawk beat the Nasty Boys, Brian Knobs and Jerry Sags in 745 to win the belts. Uh, Irwin R. Scheister beats Greg Valentine. I don't know why that was a seven-man event. In uh, 707. And the main event, the three-on-two handicap match with special referee Sid Justice. I believe just had jumped from WCW for this. Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior defeat the Triangle of Terror. Colonel Mustafa... Uh, General Anon and Sergeant Slaughter. So Mustafa, of course, is the Iron Sheik. Uh, who the fuck is General Anon? He, uh, I guess, he just he just kind of wrestled as a bunch of different gimmicks. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, he was the uh, Sheik of Sheiks of Baghdad. Okay, I think he was and, the only wrestler actually from Iraq. In that yeah, that's group. true. That's true. And of course, Sergeant Slaughter. Right before he. Uh, and he went back on turning on his country. What have you ever seen those vignettes? Yes. They're really when Sergeant Sergeant's all of a sudden like, oh, I want my country back. And I'm like, I- I'm not sure that's how it works when you uh turn traitor on your country in a war, sir, but uh okay. I don't think it's just you have to do some time in prison first, I believe, if, you, if, you, if you're a traitor to your nation. Well, I don't think you- for that. <laughs> I don't think you get to just say, I want my country back. And even just do even as a nine-year-old, I rolled my eyes at those vignettes. I was not watching at this time, so we'll get to that in a second. Yeah. Uh, this is bef- this show is definitely before my time. Uh, but yeah, so that was that went to 1240. Now, the match that we got was the opener, because there was a dark match as well. Uh, Coco Beware defeating Kato uh, from the, uh, the Orient Express. Of course, not a Japanese man. That's Paul Diamond. But anyway... Uh, Coco Beware beat him in 7.15. But the match we got was the pay-per-view opener, the six-man tag with uh, Bulldog, Dragon, and Tornado against Power and Glory and the Warlord. Uh, I, I'm looking at this card. There's, you know, This definitely was not the most interesting match we could have gotten. Would have loved to get Bretton perfect, obviously. That's considered to be a great match. But, you know, definitely could have done worse, too. I mean, who want, wants to sit through the uh, natural disasters and the bushwhackers or uh, IRS and Greg Valentine? So, you know. I mean, this just really isn't that interesting of a card to me that, like, you know, I feel like I would, I'm missing out here by getting this opener. I don't know, Jerry, is there anything you really wish we had gotten instead of this match? I mean, obviously, perfect Bret Hart. And a fact, I might actually write an article about that match in the near future. But honestly, what I really wish we had gotten was Virgil Ted DiBiase. Yeah, that is a pretty famous match. You know, it's... I just remember when, because I was watching at the time, I was going absolutely ballistic for Virgil. Probably the only time that sentence can ever be said. Going ballistic yeah. for Virgil. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would have loved to talk about that match. Neil, anything you would have loved to see here? I mean, obviously with my sort of wrestling head on, it's the, it's the Bret Hart match, isn't it? But I just, the loser has to spend the night in jail with the big <laughs> boss man. He's just, when I was, this was about when I got into wrestling and the boss man was my absolute favorite wrestler because he's just, to sort of a, a six-year-old, I mean, he's a policeman, isn't he? That like, just makes perfect sense. And he's going to, I assume, I've not seen the match, or I, but I will have seen it, but I don't remember it. I what assume he, the mount. Wasn't sorry, he a heel when he first showed up? Yes. He was like an evil policeman. He was, right? you're right, yeah. It's like, he was like a prison guard, actually, not a policeman. And they, I was like, yeah. wow, this is that's that's weirdly progressive for WWF. 
evil evil prison guard. <laughs> There's also the nasty boys against Legion of Doom that I reckon would have just been uh, what's the phrase uh, bowling shoe ugly. But I, I yeah. would uh, I would be tempted to. I mean, I'm I'm never watching a Greg Valentine match again. I'm sort of the only reason why I do is because my father-in-law looks exactly like Greg Valentine, so it's worth it to take a picture, send it to my wife, and then just forget about forget he exists. I don't need to see Greg Valentine working a limb ever again. You know, I'm done. So it's interesting. So both of you, if I understood correctly, were watching wrestling at this time. Around that time. It's a bit of yep. a weird one for me because I was I was very young, but we didn't have Sky TV. I couldn't watch pay-per-view, so it was whatever videotapes I could get. So kind of the early 90s is just a bit of a mismatch to me. It's not, I didn't watch it chronologically, you know. Yeah, I was. Oh, sorry, yeah, ahead. I was watching this time, and then when, and when we get to talking about this match, I will this I will explain why I have a significant feeling for SummerSlam '91. Um, yeah, so for me, this was like I like this is before my time. Basically, this is like so so '80s into like early '90s WF. One of my least favorite styles of wrestling there is. It just looks so hokey. I've never been able to watch it and get into it. Um, I don't have any nostalgia for the era since. I got into wrestling in about 1996. So 91, you know, this is way before my time still. And going back and watching it, you know, which I've obviously done a bunch of times, it just never, I don't know, it it never clicks with me, especially compared to like the same period of NWA slash WCW. I mean, that just looks way less hokey most of the time than these WF matches. So I don't know. And the the bright colors and like people screaming, not a huge draw for me either. Uh, you know, Roddy in this match just starts like yelling about their great teamwork from their very basic tag moves. It's a great example. It's just like, what great teamwork? And it's like, okay, can you calm down, sir? They hit like a double suplex. It's not that yeah. big a deal. Nothing is uh, subtle in this area. <laughs> no, that is for sure. Uh, speaking of unsubtle, Ricky Steamboat's outfit looks absolutely fucking ridiculous. Uh, he's got this big neon green dragon suit. He blows some fire for us, though, so that's nice. Uh, this is basically the very end of his second or his last WF run, at least. Uh, he would bail for WCW by the end of October and show up there in November, where he'd win the tag titles, actually, with Dustin Rhodes on his very first night back with the company. Which leads this oh, is one of my favorite reactions ever where Arn Anderson's like, not Ricky Steamboat. <laughs> Just over dramatic fashion. I love it so much. <laughs> I mean, like all that, all that steamboat stuff from that last WCW run before he has to retire is awesome. Yes, and it shows exactly how wasted he was here in a fucking dragon suit. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I made that point in my notes as well. The difference between the two for him essentially dressed up like a Disney character to then going that was it the blood feud with the Dangerous Alliance? Like it was like him and and Dusty Rhodes, and they just sort of seemed to have these matches between him and, and Heyman's crew, and it was just a very serious emotional thing. And then we've got like you say the I don't even think. When when you sent the match, I don't even think he's down as um, Ricky Steamboat. He's just the dragon. The dragon, yeah. You know, which, which says it all, really, doesn't it? it just it, it's not a modern thing for Vince McMahon to just be really afraid of people having a first name and a last name. <laughs> um, so the match itself, I think, is just like your basic working over Steamboat match. Uh, Warlord especially beats on him, beats on him for like very slowly for what feels like an eternity. Um, they do do a brief hot tag to carry. Things break down with everybody in the ring. And Steamboat pins Paul Roma with a simple crossbody off the top. Uh, I really think that does sum up an entire 10-minute match. I mean, there really is not much to this. Um, I thought this was all right. 
there's really nothing wrong with it as an opener to get the uh, crowd in 1991 fired up here, which it certainly did by the end of it. But I, I just can't imagine how anyone watching this now would be really blown away, blown away by it or anything. It's just so slow most of the way. Really struggled to hold my attention. Uh, I went two and three quarter stars here. And I did check Grapple for all these matches just out of curiosity. And I'm really not far off at all from the Grapple average, uh, you know, 2.66 here. So I seem to be about right around what uh, most people rated this match at. Uh, I figured some of the people would be higher, even just for nostalgia reasons or something. But, you know, it seemed to be about what people thought of this one. What'd you think, Jerry? What'd you got for this one? All right. Um, I actually give it a ladies three. I'm being extremely, underlined the word extremely generous. And I will tell you why. This was the first match I ever watched live on pay-per-view. Mm. Oh. Um. Now, technically, the first pay-per-view I ever watched was WrestleMania 7, but I did not watch that live. And just to tell myself, my favorite match as a kid for WrestleMania 7, and this is embarrassing, was Rick Martel versus Jake Roberts' blindfold match. I was a nine-year-old kid. <laughs> but So this is the first match I ever watched on pay-per-view live, and I was watching it on questionably legal cable, and there was no sound. And, um, so for the f- whole match, there was no sound. So I did my own booing and cheering. <laughs> <laughs> I booed and cheered, depending on who had offense. Thank goodness. I didn't try to do my own commentary. I just booed and cheered. I can only imagine what, how my parents reacted and sound came back on just in time for the three count. Yeah. So no sound nine year old kid trying to entertain herself by booing and cheering. And this is the first match I ever watched live on pay-per-view. So, oh. yeah, because of those rose-colored nostalgia glasses, it gets a ladies three. Oh, wow. You want a whole quarter star higher? How dare you, Jerry? I dare. What are you thinking? Uh, what do you have here now? Yeah, I think I'd agree with the three. I think there was a lot that I took from it in terms of, like, the structure that they don't really do anymore. So you just had a red hot match between uh, the bluest of the blue eyes against the dastardly heels. And I like the way they were, again, this is sort of the jarring thing now when you think of WWE, but they weren't wrestling for the odd, uh, the cameras, they were wrestling for the audience. And you just had these lovely moments of like the three baby faces that be stood in a row. And then you'd have behind them power and glory in the warlord flexing in form like this r- romantic 19th century painting of like the insurmountable mountains behind them. And I got really into sort of those imagery. I really, I find myself really getting into Kerry Von Erich matches now. Um, he he did have a really special quality to him, right? Like, yeah, he, he drew you I, in. And I think for for me, it's a little bit of a personal thing as well because it's the hidden disability stuff as well. Because I have a hidden disability myself; I have spina bifida, and yeah, I'm not in a wheelchair. People like you know, you can't tell. Um, but there's just something about seeing him doing what he's doing, knowing how much pain he was in to do it, and then the depression that came with it, and then obviously how it all ended. And obviously there's no answer to these kind of thought trails. There's no sort of solution at the end where you you tie it all up in a bow. It's just this really sort of captivating situation. But yeah, I mean, he is like his offense, just like he literally spins around and he does punches and he's, he's, he's really awesome. Uh, and then it's got Bulldog in it, and Bulldog is just, he's always got a special place being British, he's, he's from sort of the same part of England as me as well. He's from, you know, half an hour up the road in Wigan. So he's just, 
I, I don't want to star rate it. Oh, I guess I would. I guess I'd give it a three, but it was just it was just a really fun match that again I think triggered that nostalgia part of the brain, and I can completely understand if you don't have it. This is just an average match. Um, but yeah, I, I, I actually I found myself going, yeah, I'm going to enjoy this one. You know, I remembered that I I actually there was a time when I really loved this company, and it, it was around this time. Oh, there you go. So there, there's your SummerSlam '91 opener. That's our first of six matches. We jump from here all the way to 1999. So we go all the way past the fucking uh, new generation era and all that. Would have been cool to see something from that, but it was not in the cards. The randomizer went to 99. Uh, I mean, it, it did that as a downside, but on the upside, it didn't give us anything remotely modern. So uh, <laughs> it could have been worse, I guess. But uh, yeah, so we jump from 91 to 99. Uh, we have SummerSlam 99, which is an out-of-body experience. Of course, because Jesse the Body Ventura is a special ref. Uh, it took place on August 22nd uh, at the Target Center in Minneapolis, 17,370. The opener, uh, Jeff Jarrett defeating D'Lo Brown for the Intercontinental and European titles in 727. Then we have the World Tag Title Number One Contendership Tag Team Turmoil Match. Uh, they got obsessed with these Tag Team Turmoil things for a while. This might be the first one. I think it, I think it might be around this era. I mean... They did them for years after this, but uh, you know this was this might have been the first one. Don't hold me to that in case it wasn't, but it might have been. Uh, the acolytes beat Draws and Prince Albert, Edge and Christian, uh, Midian and Viscera, who I guess they're still calling the corporate ministry at this point. I, don't, I didn't realize that unit was still in existence. Uh, the Hardy Boys and the Hollies in 1613. Uh, the hardcore title: Al Snow defeats the Big Boss Man in 727 to win the title. Ivory beats Tory in 408 to retain the women's title. Uh, Ken Shamrock beats Steve Blackman in 906 in a Lions Den match. That would that would have to be one of his last matches in the company, right? Let's see, because he's not he's not long for the world. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, he only he he right he does that feud with Jericho. So his last match with the company is a month later, September 21st, 99, on the sixth episode of SmackDown. He loses to Jericho in a first blood match in 223. Okay. WWF TV matches. Uh, two and a half minute first blood match. Uh, a very famous match, I think. The Lover or Lever Street Fight test beating Shane McMahon in 1204. Uh, the World Tag Titles, The Undertaker and The Big Show beating Kane and X Pac in 1201 to win the belts. Uh, Undertaker, though, would have. That, that ring could not have lasted long because Undertaker's gone. Uh. I would say within like a month and a half, probably. Let's see. Yeah, he's done on September 14th. Yeah, so he loses. They lose the tag titles to... Uh, no, they don't lose the titles. I guess they vacate them. Huh. Because yeah, they beat the Rock and Stock Connection and win the belts back September 7th. These wacky, wacky WWE. And then I don't know what happens after that. Let's see. Uh, <laughs> trying to find this now. They lose the belts back, and then yeah, they so they lose. They okay. Mankind, the big and the Rock beat Midian, the Big Show, and Viscera in a three-on-two handicap match to win the belts. So, uh, and that's when Undertaker gets injured and uh, you know, misses until the rest of the year, pretty much until King of the Ring the following year. Although, did you guys know? Apparently, the Undertaker somehow did two shows in Puerto Rico at the end of the. 1999 uh in the iwa puerto rico wwf christmas in puerto rico 1999 uh december 15th and 16th 
he and Viscera lose to Kane, the Godfather, and then uh, Viscera, Undertaker, Midian beat Kane, Savio Vega, and Miguel Perez Jr. So that one's actually in Mexico. What the fuck? <laughs> Very bizarre. But yeah, those are his only WF matches the rest of the year. And then obviously, or his only matches, I guess, because technically they're not really in WWF. And then uh, he's out until Ping of the Ring 2000. Wow. Never, you learn the most random stuff just looking at cage match. I really had no idea he did that. That feels uh, like a trivia, like a pub quiz question <laughs> at some point. Yeah. Down the yeah. Uh, the semi-main event, The Rock defeated Mr. Ass in the Kiss My Ass match. Of course, that's Billy Gunn in 10-12. And they're briefly trying to call him just Mr. Ass. And that did not take, of course, because it's fucking stupid. And then the main event, the WWF title match uh, with special ref Jesse Ventura. Mankind beats Steve Austin Triple H in 1623, and he gets gets to hold the title for all 24 hours uh, before losing it to Triple H the next night on Raw for Hunter Hearst Helmsley's first ever world title reign. Um, So the match we got here was the opener again. It was Jarrett versus D'Lo. This is not like any kind of classic show, obviously. It's very typical, I think, Attitude Era show where, like, there's really no not any great wrestling to speak of, you know, on this show. Uh, obviously, everybody is incredibly over, and the, the lack of great wrestling does not really matter. But, you know, there's just not not a lot of great wrestling here. So there's nothing I'm like, oh, I'm really sad I didn't get The Rock and Mr. Ass. I mean, the only thing on this show I kind of would have wanted to say, just to see if it holds up after all these years, is that Test and Shane McMahon match, because, you know, I remember that being way better than I had expected to expect it to be back in the day, and you know, I'd like to know if that's like, you know, how that holds up now, I guess. But it's like his matter. first big bump, like the first sort of chain bump where he like sort of like... Yeah, the, the one through the, the, the top rope through the announce table, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I would like to see how that held up, but, uh, you know, other than that, I don't really care. <laughs> I'm not an actually there person at all. I mean, I just... 1999 to me is like one of the worst years in wrestling history. I mean, you know... It, it was awful. I mean, WWF sucks until... It, I mean, it starts to pick pick up a little bit after Russo leaves, you know, in October. Uh, but it still takes a while to get to the good stuff in 2000. And then, you know, WCW obviously sucks in 99. ECW really isn't very good in 99. Uh, I don't, you know, all Japan's kind of on the way down in Japan. Like if you go back and watch like 1999, is not, not any classic year for all Japan. Uh, it's like in this weird, you know, between period, what's about to become Noah the next year. Um, you know, New Japan, from what I've seen, you know, 99 not any kind of classic year for them. So, you know, just not a good year for wrestling worldwide, I think. I don't, I don't know what Mexico was doing. I, I have to say that. But from what I've seen, I don't think it's really that great of a year anywhere. Uh, anything you regret not getting on this show, I guess, Neil, this time? Um, I remember this one. This was in, like, when I was in high school, so this was sort of I was at the perfect age for the attitude here. I would have been like, Yeah, you're right teens. above me. I would have been in like middle school. Um, but apps, I mean, the idea of watching Triple H in a main event ever again is just is not for me. I remember the Lions Den match. I remember being really disappointed because they they always seem to build Ken Shamrock really well. If I, I mean, I've not watched a Ken Shamrock match for years, but I, w- I remember being scared of Ken Shamrock a lot. So I would like to go back and watch the Lions Den match and see see if that's still and Steve Blackman as well always had just this horrendous kind of stare and like something terrifying about him. Um so I'd, I'd go back and watch that just to see 
if it holds up. But yeah, this card is dire. There's there's not very much on it <laughs> at all. Like I just, it's I mean, I'm, I'm really, I'm really, uh, no pass. <laughs> yeah, don't. It, is, it is crazy. Like when we go, we're gonna go through the 2000 card in seconds. Like a spoiler alert. We got 99 and 2000, and like the, the difference in one fucking year is just amazing for this company. Uh, Jerry, anything you wish we could have gotten from this 99 SummerSlam? Not really. 99 is a bad year. Like, anytime I find myself accidentally getting nostalgia for the Attitude Era or someone starts waxing poet about how they missed the Attitude Era, I remember 99 and go, no. Yeah. No, 99 is just bad. I mean, there's some things I look at fondly from 99, but not enough to save it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, my least... If I was gonna say, if you compare it to the other years in the Attitude Era, like if you want to consider 2000 Attitude Era, that's a great year. Yeah, and, and 98 is not bad. I mean, yeah. it's, it's yeah. not awesome, but it's nowhere near as bad as 99. Yeah, like, like, like when I was let's see, 99, I was 17. So yeah, I would have uh, been 13. Um, so you know, I I I was kind of like that kind of that age group they were looking for. So back then, I lapped it up. You know, I'm kind of embarrassed by how much I lapped a lot of that up back in 99, you know, um, especially now that I look back and realize it's my like least favorite Royal Rumble Rumble ever is the 99 oh, yeah. Royal it's, Rumble. It's horrible. The 99 Rumble. Horrible. That's the Vince McMahon wins here. People don't know. Yeah. It's hard to do a bad Rumble as well. It's almost <laughs> impressive that they made a boring Royal Rumble. They made they, they, It was so impressive that they found a Rumble that I can look at and go, wow, that was shit. Yeah. There's some there's some newer ones that are pretty horrible too. They're pretty horrible, yeah. but they don't even cause me to have this like like I can still rewatch them for review purposes. If 99 Royal Rumble ever pops up on one of these randomizers, I'll be like, I'm out. <laughs> you know, sorry, I can't do this. I don't know how we would do a Royal Rumble randomizer episode with the Rumble matches because like <laughs> they're an hour long. I mean, I have to do like two of them. I don't. I would pretend to watch it. Like, yep, I watched it. Did you really? No. Maybe but, I do it. Where, maybe I could do it where like you, we can only get one rumble match, and the rest of them have yeah. to be non-rumble matches. Yeah, but um, ninety nine. If I would probably say that if if I was gonna watch anything from this pay per view, it would have been the Love It Leave It match. Yeah, back when I yeah. actually thought Shane McMahon matches were fun to watch. <laughs> now I'm just like they were fun to they were fun to watch because this guy is like killing himself. Yeah, but now uh, it's but now it's like old hat. It's like oh, here comes Shane yeah. to kill himself now. Like this kid, this kid works out his daddy issues on pay per view for like six and a half years or whatever. Yep. It's like maybe he'll love me if I get thrown through a glass by Kurt Angle. <laughs> I was there at that show, Kurt Angle one. Oh like gosh, watching, watching this man get slaughtered by Kurt Angle, I'm like Jesus. Anyway, uh, yeah, this is a uh... so the match we got here: D'Lo against Jeff Jarrett. So D'Lo, he was already European champion when he defeated the Intercontinental Champion Jeff Jarrett on Raw. On July 27th, his double title reign, the stuff of legends here. He made two defenses. He defeated Val Venus on episode of Sunday Night Heat and Prince Albert on episode of Shotgun Saturday Night. And then he, that's his only two defenses in the month before this show. First of all, I had no idea Shotgun Saturday Night still existed by now, but why the fuck is the double champion, the intercontinental European double champion, facing Prince Albert? On Shotgun Saturday night. There's really no time on Raw for, to, to get a double title defense in. It was really, really bizarre. Uh, so yeah, he clearly has a ton of momentum entering this match. <laughs> King shit uh, right there. <laughs> uh, so Jeff Jarrett, he's accompanied the ring, of course, by Deborah. That, of course, gives Jerry Lawler uh, the opportunity to be embarrassingly hor- horny on a pay-per-view. 
But Jarrett immediately kicks Deborah out to the back. I guess they're having issues or something at this point. Now, you know, me giving, excuse me, me giving WF too much credit. I thought they're like setting up something for a few months later. Cause I'm like, oh yeah, I vaguely remember that Deborah turns on Jarrett during his feud with China that comes up in the, you know, in the next few months before Jarrett, of course, jumps to WCW. So I'm like, I guess they're setting that up here. Deborah goes backstage. She immediately, she immediately convinces D'Lo Brown to let her come out with him. And the moment she does that, I'm like, oh, never mind. She's going to turn on him in this match, isn't she? And that pretty much is what happened. Uh, well, she'll be one of several people who will turn on D'Lo Brown this match. So anyway, so the first guy to hold these two championships simultaneously, completely overshadowed by a pair of giant fake boobs. Uh, it does help him with the crowd reaction because uh, he really didn't get much of it coming out because, again, his title defenses were on Sunday Night Heat and Shotgun Saturday Night. Uh, but, yeah, no wonder no one gives a shit about these belts. It's like, what is the real storyline here? Boobs. Uh, someone at ringside holds up a very confusing sign, by the way. I don't know if anyone else saw this. Paul Bearer is sexy was the sign they held up. Uh <laughs> Hey, everyone's got a type. You I was going to say, one for everyone. Yeah, hey, if, you th- if, if they think he's dead sexy, go for it. I'm all for to it. E- to each their own. Yep. Uh, so we get that 1999 WWF stable of lazy, boring, outside the ring brawling. Uh, I'm not sure any WWF match from that year that went longer than like three minutes didn't feature that. And probably most of the three minute ones did too. Uh, Jared at one point does a pretty nice uh, swinging arm breaker on D'Lo off the second turnbuckle at one point. Not a move I was expecting to see in an Attitude Era WWF opener, so good on him for that, I guess. Uh, The crowd is so enthused by this novel arm work, though, they immediately start chanting, we want puppies. So they they, they don't give a shit about Jeff Jared's cool little arm breakers. They're just supporting adoption, clearly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) the arm work almost immediately blown off by D'Lo hitting a big sit-out powerbomb. The actual powerbomb did look cool, at least, though. Uh, D'Lo then tries a senton bomb. which I'm like, okay. Didn't see that coming either. Jarrett rolls out of the way. But that's all the fucking wrestling you're going to get, brother, because we got some turns to do. So Jarrett goes to use a guitar on D'Lo. Deborah gets up in the apron like she's trying to stop him. Mark Henry runs out of the back. Now, I guess Mark Henry at this point, they were doing a storyline where D'Lo was trying to get him to lose weight or something. Like, D'Lo was, like, you know, basically fat-shaming this man and, like, you know, trying to get him, uh, you know, to, you know, just to lose weight in these, back, that, these vignettes or whatever. I vaguely recall that storyline. Uh, apparently, Mark Henry is mad at him for this because he takes the guitar away from Jarrett, but then he, of course, turns on D'Lo, hits him with the guitar from behind, and that is your finish as Jarrett pins him to win both titles. Uh, Deborah hugs Jarrett too to make it clear she was in on everything. The camera is so focused on Deborah, we completely miss Jarrett and Mark Henry hugging at the end to, to you know reveal their encodes. So that was something. Uh, but yeah, then I believe Jarrett gives Henry the European title the next night on Raw. So that's how they split the belts up. And then Dilo wins the European belt back a month later from him at Unforgiven. So good for him. Uh, but he pretty much never gets back to this level again because. Uh, you know, within like a fucking year. No, shorter than that. He'll be, when, when the hell is Lowdown start? A tag team of Chad. It's like within 2000. So uh, anyway, this is pretty close to your standard uh, WF 1999 opener. 
But some nice little arm work from Jarrett, the senton bomb from D'Lo, and the nice power bomb I definitely wasn't expecting. They did more actual wrestling moves than, you know, I would have guessed for a 99 opener. Uh, you know, nothing really wrong with it besides your usual, like, hideous, they were all in on it together, ha-ha, Russo finish. Uh, Russo would, of course, leave WF for WCW, you know, like late September, early October. So we get a little less of that from the uh, WWF after that, thankfully. But yes, I'll go three stars. Might be a little generous, uh, but you know, it was fine. There's nothing you need to like, nothing I'm going to tell you. You have to go out of way to see. But again, I end up being very close to the grapple average that's at 2.85, uh, which I always check that after I give my rating, just for the record. But I was close to the average almost on every show here. So I guess these are not exactly controversial matches. Uh, what do you think here, Neil, of the SummerSlam 99 opener here? Do you know, I really like D'Lo Brown. I always have, but he's one of those wrestlers where I'll say I really like D'Lo Brown. If you were to ask me what my favorite D'Lo Brown match was, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> like, I have no idea. And there's just something about him, the way he moves. Like, he's just, I think his he's moves are cool. Like, his offense is cool. Um, you know, something a bit intangible about him. I mean, it's just, it's just that bit at the start, isn't it? And, you know, the screaming puppies. And, I mean, I respected the sort of the blue lingerie bikini thing but then with a blue blazer jacket it's kind of like the smartest the most smart you can get and the most kind of casual you can get i guess like combined together in like some weird fusion fashion thing that i i i I can i can respect with but then it's almost like the story at the start was that um they're all chanting puppies. Jarrett doesn't want her to show her boobs, so he sends her to the back. But D'Lo, the gentleman, says, no, you can show your boobs to this crowd of 17,000 people and, like, leads her back in. And it's just, I mean, it's 2021, isn't it? It's just, it's, I, I don't know. It's just, if if my wife had walked in the room when I was watching that or anybody would have walked in the room while I was watching that, I would have been uncomfortable. Um, there was, I like, like I said, I like D'Lo. There was a few bits where, he did that running powerbomb that I think is really cool, but he was like in the fight back and he was so exhausted after the powerbomb that he was collapsed, but he was he was able before the powerbomb to do like his big hands in the air kind of emote style thing before he did it. So he was too exhausted to stand up, but he wasn't exhausted enough to, to sort of play to the crowd. But yeah, the, it's the fuck finish again. Is it? I mean, I know that's the house style and that's what they did in the era and I'm, I'm sort of criticizing it for being what it is. But and I hate Jeff Jarrett. I think Jeff Jarrett stinks. I've never been a really? Jeff Jarrett guy. Hmm. I yeah. I just I always he, think he's better than like I. Whenever I end up watching his matches, I always come away thinking, "Huh, he's better than I remembered." But I don't know. I think maybe I've been watching recently some. Um, in fact, it's Liam Byrne did a, like a ninety-two um, a series of articles for the website, and I've been working my way through those and watching some of the matches and just I've I've seen about a million Jeff Jarrett against Moon Dog Memphis brawls. And it's just, I mean, that's not my style anyway. And I think I'm, I'm down on Jarrett as it is. And he, yeah, he just, he's, he's, he's not for me. So, I, I mean, mean he's, I not guess... my, he's not my favorite wrestler, but of the two egomaniacs that you want to call them, Jarrett and Triple H, I think he's definitely better than Triple H. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, yeah, that's a, that's a <laughs> stabbing with fake praise there. Though, yeah, it? a low bar for sure. But uh, yeah, um, I mean, I, I'm two, two and a half stars. I don't know. Yeah, just he was very much a match that was on the card. Jerry, what'd you think of this one? This match was the tits. Um, yeah. One in three fourth stars. Um, I've never liked Jeff Jarrett. Um, oh, I'm sorry. The tits was bad. I thought the yeah. tits was. No, this match was. Oh, bad. yeah. <laughs> sorry. In the UK, 
if we say it's the tits, that means it's good. Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> well, okay. Let let me rewind and be more clear. Then this match was pure other shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's it. That's like, the wow, first to put really, the end there. Yeah, when you said the tits, I was like, wow, Jerry really liked tits. I guess Sorry, I, I did not. I think I misused the word tits thinking tits meant bad, and I was also trying to make a bad joke, so it didn't work out. Shame on me. See, this is the duality <laughs> of podcast hosts. Neil is prepared and has notes. I do not have anything. So this is what you get. <laughs> so, um, but no, this match was bad. Um, I never liked Jeff Jarrett. Um, I find him to be, let me word this correctly, a bland piece of toast. And occasionally this bland piece of toast, you may put avocado on it. You may put cinnamon on it. You may butter it up to make you think it's better than it actually is. But it doesn't change the fact that it's a bland piece of toast pretending to be more than it actually is. That's how I view Jeff Jarrett. And I have a soft spot for D'Lo. I never thought he was particularly good, but the head movement, the cockiness, just the way he carried himself, he could trick me into being entertained by him. The fuck finish... It was typical of the era, but that doesn't make it good or entertaining. Just just a match that did absolutely nothing for me. And then you have Jerry Lawler's over-the-top horniness. And even as a horny teen back in the day myself, even I would be like, okay, dude, um, calm the fuck down. <laughs> it's just a pair of boobs. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, maybe this is what I should have realized I was... Uh, bisexual from a younger age, but like when I was a kid, I just remember being like, "Who cares? Like, there's half naked people on the show all the time. Why are you going crazy about the, this one set of boobs?" Yeah, you know, um, I was a little fascinated by the boobs, but it turns out I was misinterpreting my fascination. I wanted the boobs, not <laughs> I actually wanted a pair. Even as a kid, I remember being like this. This the level of fascination with the boobs seems. Uh, <laughs> Seems a little over the top. But yeah, I think if you, if you do want to see boobs, SummerSlam 1999 isn't like the best place to go for boobs. No. Like, we had, we had dial-up internet in 1999. Yes, we did. It was why, much more why are you watching there. SummerSlam boobs? Um, okay, that's weird, but do you? <laughs> yeah. uh, so there you go. There's our SummerSlam 99 slash boob talk. Uh, SummerSlam 2000 is the next one we got. So the, the very next year. And like I teased earlier, a lot has changed in a yearly. Most of the top North American talent has moved over to the WWF with uh, WCW on its way out. And you also have like the rise of Kurt Angle and stuff that's really helped, you know, these cards look quite a bit better. So we have SummerSlam, August 27th, 2000 uh, from Raleigh, North Carolina. The opener, uh, well, they, they can't all be winners. A six-man tag match, the right to censor. Uh, Bull Buchanan, Stephen Richards, and The Good Father beating Rikishi and Too Cool in 457. Then we have X-Pac beating The Road Dog in 431. Uh, we get an Intercontinental title mixed tag team match. Uh, China and Eddie Guerrero beat Val Vance and Trish Stratus. So China pins Trish in 704, becomes the new champion. Uh, Jerry Lawler defeats Taz in 421. The weird Lawler versus Taz feud. The, the whole Taz push was so strange, where it's like they they spent all this time making him look like he's going to be a huge deal with those vignettes that went on for, I think, like weeks and weeks. And then, they you know, he just kind of is not a big deal at all because Vince is like, hey, wait a second. I don't like short people. I forgot. Uh, hardcore title match. Steve Blackman beats Shane McMahon in 10-17 to win the title. Uh, that was the crazy Shane McMahon uh, bump off the fucking scaffolding. So even a way bigger bump in a year's time. The two out of three falls match, 
Chris Benoit defeats Chris Jericho two falls to one in 1301. The world tag team titles TLC match, the original TLC, Edge and Christian defeat the Dudleys and the Hardys in 1838. Uh, the stink face match, the cat defeats Terry in 307. Uh, Kane versus the Undertaker goes to, goes for a no contest in 733. And Undertaker pulls his mask off or something. And the main event for the WWF title, uh, The Rock defeats Kurt Angle and Triple H in 2011. That's kind of a famous feud, first of all, because you know that's the uh, the, the feud where like Kurt and Triple H are feuding over Stephanie, and uh, you know Triple H kind of turns face around this time before he turns back heel with the uh, when he reveals himself to be the mastermind behind. Rikishi running over Steve Austin, uh, but yeah, this this show obviously, even though it does, it's not like you know the greatest card of all of all time or anything, but it has uh, some much higher level matches here to go with all the usual WWF crap. Uh, the match we got was Benoit versus Jericho, two out of three falls. Um, you know, I'm satisfied with that. Other than having, I, I don't really have a big problem watching Benoit matches at this point. You know. It's been so long now, I just don't really even think about it that much when I'm watching his matches. Uh, so I didn't really mind it from that standpoint. You know, I wouldn't have mind getting the main event, which I remember being quite good. Uh, I wouldn't have minded getting the TLC match, obviously, which is crazy. Uh, but then there was also a lot of stuff on this show, too, that really, you know. Uh, I wouldn't mind getting Blackman and Shane either because of the famous Shane bump. But, you know, I think we did up pretty okay compared to most of the other crap on this card. There's still, it's still the WF, I guess. There's still, it's not, I mean, 2000 is a great year for them, but this is also like, I feel like kind of the beginning of the fall, maybe, you know, like where not, I don't mean like the fall is in the, the time of year, but like the beginning of them, maybe not being at a super high level anymore. You know, when the, uh, we start with the nonsensical fucking who ran over Steve Austin. Oh, it was Rikishi, the big fat, happy dancing man. who wasn't even, really a thing at survivor series 99 when steve austin got ran over so just a total nonsense choice to be the driver and you know things kind of did start going a little sideways late in 2000 well they did recover early in 2001 i think they had some really good shows but then you know obviously the invasion happened and (laughs) that pretty much uh was the beginning of the end for them being good (laughs) for any length of time pretty much forever so uh, but yeah, what do you? Is there anything you want would have rather gotten here, Jerry, on this card? You know, the three way, the three, the TLC for sure. Um, I would definitely love to talk about Shane's big bump. Um, overall, I mean, though this is not like a great, amazing show, it is a huge step up in quality. Oh yeah, from the previous year for sure. Yeah, and I would have loved to talk about the main event because I, if I remember correctly, didn't Kurt Angle get? concussed in the main event because the yeah, cable collapse in the pedigree attempt or something. Yeah. He gets knocked out, uh, you know, pretty, pretty early on. And then, you know, he, they, they have to bring him to the back. And so Hunter and rock have to, you know, improvise, but then Kurt does come back out. So probably not a good idea for him to come no, back out. You know, yeah. You know, you know, with 2021 20, eyes, you know, seeing him come back out, it's like, eh, that might have not been the best decision. But a lot of bad decisions when it came to concussions were made in that era. Not justifying yeah. it, but it wasn't the only one. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, any Anything you would have rather get here, Neil? From a sort of a curiosity point of view, I think we've done okay. I mean... It would have been interesting to re-examine the TLC match because they're held up by certain corners as 
stone cold classics and it would have been interesting to go back and look at it with 2021 eyes um but yeah this just it feels like wwf around that time they were just kind of easy watches you know you you could just put the pay-per-view on and it would just you'd be entertained thoroughly for a couple of hours you know and that, i think that's something i forget is that these shows are like they're like two and a half to three hours you know they're not like you know now like raw is longer than these shows are so they're just you know i, I think we could have we've done we've done well um but i think yeah tlc would have been interesting all right, so let's get into the one we got here, which, of course, was Benoit and Jericho. So this is a weird one, kind of, because... So Benoit and Jericho had spent a lot of the year feuding over the Intercontinental title. That belt, as mentioned, not on the line here. It's in the, on the line in an intergender tag, of all things, uh, because Benoit had lost the belt to Rikishi at the end of June, who in turn lost it to Val Venus, who loses it to China in that tag match. Uh, but yeah, this, this match is basically the... Uh, blow off for their the, for now for their long feud of the year, which makes the ending a little weird. As we'll get to, but they really they wouldn't really meet again outside of like one quick match on SmackDown until the IC belt was on the line again in a ladder match uh, at the Royal Rumble, and then a few months later, uh, Benoit would turn face and they'd form a tag team for a while. And after that Rumble 2001 match, they only have three televised matches. Uh, they have this weird little match in April 2001 that was like forced on them by the commissioner, William Regal. Uh, it goes like four minutes and both of them decide to team up and kick Regal's ass as part of their, their teaming storyline. And then they did have two more matches on the on two episodes of Raw in early 2005. Uh, Jericho beats him in 12 and a half minutes on January 17th in Toronto. And Benoit beats him in a submission match in 12-16 uh, in Saitama, Japan, that weird Raw. I think that's the same Raw where JBL yells at a statue of Godzilla that he'll kick his ass or something, which is <laughs> a really funny spot. But yeah, that was February 4th. Uh, and that's their final singles match ever uh, on television. Anyway. I think they, they had a couple of house show matches. Uh, but yeah, so this is like sort of the blow off of their feud, but not for the IC title like most of the feud for the year was. And it has a weird ending for what would end up being like a you know, at least a blow off for now, basically. So Benoit and Jericho, they go right at each other from the start. Benoit sends Jericho to the post at ringside. Uh, Jericho later on hits a German suplex, the super safe WWF style one where the guy lands as flat on his back as possible. And JR calls it a belly to back suplex, which I forgot he did around this time, but it really annoys me. It's like, sir, the move has a name and that is not it. Uh, Benoit wins the first fall relatively quickly. He gets the cross face on Jericho, and Jericho taps out. Actually, I can give you a time. Let's see. The, yeah, 301, only three minutes. Uh, Benoit goes right to the cross face a second time. Uh, Jerry the King Lawler screams, like, no rest. And yeah, as much as I hate to agree with Jerry the King Lawler on anything, it kind of makes no sense that the wrestlers don't get so much as a moment between falls, and Benoit can just reapply the same hold he just beat him with, you know, immediately. Uh, but he gets on again, and Jericho makes the ropes this time. Uh, Benoit works over Jericho's shoulder for a while. You know, not bad or anything. A little boring, I think. Uh, and Jericho and the King, they remind me. This I totally forgot about. Benoit was actually announced as the new WWF champion the previous month, fully loaded, when he challenged The Rock before it was overturned. So that means both of these guys in this match, Benoit and Jericho, had had overturned WF title WF title reigns 
in the last few months. Because remember Jericho, this one I did remember, Jericho had that famous overturned decision uh, against Triple H on Raw a few months before that. So just kind of funny. They both almost won the title and were announced as the new champion but had it overturned. Uh, kind of funny moment on commentary. Kenny at one point says Jericho is too stupid to quit because he's a Canadian and Canadians are stupid. JR just calmly points out that Benoit is also Canadian. And then he says Canadians are not stupid. Uh, King, I guess, has no comeback for that. Maybe he sincerely forgot Benoit was Canadian, Canadian too for a moment. I have no idea. And there's like a little bit of a pause. And then he finally just quietly says, Jericho's stupid. So there you go. I just thought that was really a really funny exchange. It's like, yes, his, his opponent is also Canadian, sir. Uh, it's just a battle of wits, that, isn't it? Just <laughs> two, two, like excellent erasers like beating each other and battling with words uh jericho suddenly gets the walls of jericho on benoit out of nowhere after taking all that damage and benoit taps i didn't really think this was like the most logical of match layouts like his shoulder is supposedly hanging on by a thread or whatever uh and then he just like gets the walls out of nowhere and it's like okay uh they do play jericho's music winning that fall for some reason even though the match isn't over couldn't tell if that was a fuck up or not uh, Jericho is doing a decent job, though, selling the arm, you know, other than that walls. Uh, he hits a nice back elbow off the top rope using the other arm, kind of sells that his arm is, like, useless at his side, and then he sells that he can't lift Benoit for a powerbomb uh, because of the bad arm as well. Benoit hits a dragon suplex hold, apparently. You know, I looked it up the first time he ever did that in the WWF, apparently. Uh, and that gets a two count. And they go back and forth a little more before Benoit reverses a cradle from Jericho into a cradle of his own and grabs on the bottom rope for the pin. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I thought that was kind of a stupid finish. It's like all that arm work just to end with a cheating pinfall. Very weird. Uh, and JR, JR yells about how this isn't settled. The finish certainly would make you think this feud must continue. But again, both guys are programmed away from each other after this for four fucking months. I mean, Benoit goes into a four-way main event with The Rock, Undertaker, and Kane uh, at Unforgiven for the title, while Jericho moves into a very exciting feud with X-Pog. I'm sure it was thrilling for him. Uh, but yeah, they wouldn't come back together for four months at the Rumble. So it's like, what was the point of this like weird, this must feud must continue finish when this feud was not going to continue for four months? It was really bizarre. Uh, so this was certainly a good match. But I found it to be more than a little disappointing, given the you know the, the standards these two t- tended to hit against each other. Uh, the two out of three falls thing didn't add anything to the match, really. It just let both of them get a quick submission in. And the finish had absolutely nothing to do with the arm work. That was the story of the entire match up until then. It's still good, but I was expecting great from these two. I didn't think this was great. I went three and a half stars. Uh, a little bit under the consensus here, but not that much. Uh, Grapple's rating average is 3.73. So, you know, I just didn't didn't think this was like a great match. What do you what do you think of this one, Jerry? I'm way low. I'm at three straight. Um, okay. 
I the two out of threes added nothing. Um, what was the match time again? If you can remind me, uh, I believe it was only it was thirteen oh one. Yeah, thirteen. I have a huge, and this is going to be probably nitpicky on my part. I have a huge problem with two out of three falls that go like. 13 14 minutes I, I don't think that's nitpicky on your part i think it's like why bother it's like just have a straight one fall match yeah you know I totally agree you just have a straight one fall but ba- i mean and i'm gonna tell you right now some but i can see lucha connoisseurs skewering me alive for what i'm about to say but that's why i can't well, get into well, a well, lot well, of lucha well. libra all right yeah it's a different story in lucha i guess i mean yeah but but, but, but it's but but two quick but when there's two quick falls i mean i get it's tradition but it's like it just throws me out of me. It's like, why have the first two falls? Yeah, that's fair. And I get it. I'm not trying. Let me be clear. I'm not trying to crap on Lucha. I'm just trying to explain why it's hard for me to get into it. Mm-hmm. Um, you you enjoy your Lucha. They're great wrestlers. Please do not skewer me. Um, but yeah, the two out of three falls format just wasn't necessary. And that threw me out immediately. And um, the work's good, you know, but this is Benoit... And Jericho at this time, who could put on a great match together. In fact, I've you know we've seen them with great matches, so you know they have better in them. And whether they're hampered by the format, the stipulation, or whatnot, it just didn't click for me. And yeah, just three—a very disappointing three. Like I'm—I get no pride giving them three stars here. <laughs> what do you think, Neil? I I agree completely with Jerry. I just think that stipulations are fine i don't have anything against any particular stipulation but it really it didn't add anything to this match and it, it took a lot away out of it uh, it took a lot out of it i should say uh, i think the start with the sort of the heated punching and it just didn't land it was like the it was a heat segment without any heat um you know it just felt like that first fall came because they had to have a first fall you know i, I don't believe that jericho would have tapped out that soon if it wasn't a two out of three falls match just kind of exposed it a little bit um pure plunder's not really my thing generally speaking um you know and again it's wwf uh, you feel like it's inevitable you know that when benoit gets the first fall jericho's going to get the second um the third fall I enjoyed because it was wrestling, you know, for, for want of a better expression. There was big suplexes, reversals, and you forget because obviously, you know, well, maybe not obviously, I don't know, but I don't watch Benoit matches, you know, unless it's sort of for something like this or just part of a, a like a, a rewatch of a, of a sequence I'm doing. But you forget just how differently he hits the mat and like how hard everything he does is. And he's a, he was just a, an excellent, excellent wrestler. I'm thinking particularly about the hurricane man from the top. Um, you start to see those little bits of genius from Jericho that he's got, you know, when he, he does the lion salt, but he lands on a shoulder. So then he, he sort of doesn't jump up straight away and he, he kind of sells the shoulder slightly, but not fully. And I, I, I like things like that. Um, the roll up was bullshit. You know, it was just, it wasn't, it, it was a, it, for me, you said the phrase before, this this feud must continue. And I, th- I think that's it. And I, but, I do, but it didn't even continue. It was like, it was so, it was yeah. so weird. It was, and this do, feud must continue when the feud didn't continue. Yeah, this feud must continue at a much later date. But then they came back, and I think I have got the Royal Rumble match in my head. In fact, actually, I, I thought this was the ladder match when you, I, I got mixed up. I thought this was the ladder match when you sent us the matches. Um, so I was a bit disappointed when it was the two out of three falls. And I was even more disappointed. I mean, I'm probably like 2.75 on it. I mean, three at a push. I just, I, it, 
and I think that's expectations going in. These are two all-time great workers having a really boring match. Um, so yeah, I, I was a, I was really disappointed in this one. All right, there you go. Uh, so then we got we slip, skip ahead here to 2005. So obviously a ton has changed in these five years. Uh, very different company. I think much closer. Like basically the moment you get past, I would say, oh four. Oh five, like this is like this is kind of when to me the company turns into the company it is today, kind of where like you can see that like much more genericness to it and the you know much more scripted feeling. I mean, there were still some wrestlers around for years who could break through that, like you know your your guys who came from the past generation, uh, which there there's less and less of that nowadays, obviously. But yeah, I mean, this is like this to me is like when you like you know the start of the modern era. It's like you know oh three oh four oh five so. Um, this show was from the MCI Center in Washington, D.C. Uh, it was on August 24, 21st, 2005. The opener was Chris Benoit defeating Orlando Jordan in 26 seconds to win the United States title. Okay. Uh, Edge defeating Matt Hardy by referee's decision in 448. Then we had the custody of Dominic. You remember Dominic Mysterio can be seen on SmackDown today and is quite horrible. Uh, custody of Dominic ladder match. Rey Mysterio defeats Eddie Guerrero in 2019. Uh, Kurt Angle beating Eugene in 434. Uh, Randy Orton defeating The Undertaker in 1717. John Cena beating Chris Jericho in 1451 to retain the WWE title. Batista beating JBL in a no-holds-barred match uh, to retain the World Heavyweight title in 907. And the main event, Hulk Hogan beating Shawn Michaels in 2125. Uh, the match we got here was Orton and Undertaker. So, you know, there's a, there's, you know, this card had some stuff that I would have liked to see. Like, I would have, uh, would have liked to see that Cena Jericho match just to see, you know, early Cena plus also like, or early in his big run, Cena, you know, his first WWE title run. And also, you know, Chris Jericho, like on his way out of the company as a heel. Uh, I would have liked to see the Hogan Sean match again, which I remember being very interesting. I would have been like to see Kurt squash of Eugene again. Uh, which was like, you know, when he was doing this like psycho heel gimmick because they were going to match him up against Cena after this. And of course, it did not go well since the crowd just cheered Angle against Cena. Kind of, this, you know, the start of the Cena backlash, I think. Uh, but yeah, you know, this this card had some interesting stuff. Uh, I didn't mind getting this Orton Undertaker match because, uh, so I remember or- or- Orton Undertaker's feud. I remember they, they had a pretty awesome match at WrestleMania I remember they had that crazy Hell in a Cell match from Armageddon at the end of the year uh, with fucking Randy's dad, Bob Orton, bleeding on everybody and then it turning out he had hepatitis, which was, uh, I think it was hepatitis. It was quite the fucking, quite the scene. Uh, but yeah, I have zero memory of them having a SummerSlam match. So it was interesting because I was like, well, I wonder if I don't remember this match because it's not very good or if it's just because I don't, I don't think I actually saw the show ever. Like, I may have never just seen this match. I know I saw Hogan and Sean later on for sure, but I don't, I may have not watched any other matches on the show. I may have never seen any of the other matches on this show. So, you know, I, I was curious about it. So I wasn't, I didn't mind that we got this one. Uh, what'd you think, Neil? Is there anything else on this card you would have rather gotten? Um, I'd like to see the Mysterio, well, see again the Mysterio Guerrero match just to see if this match was the best thing, like the Dominic's best performance in WWE ever, because <laughs> I, I really suspect it might be this is like, if he's on screen, it'd be better than anything he's ever done. Um, 
Yeah, like the Hogan Shawn Michaels match would have been interesting to watch. That felt like a historical moment at the time. I seem to remember vaguely. Um, yeah, Cena, like that early scene is always really interesting to go back. Kind of the the not family friendly as um, Cena as much. You know, like a bit of a edgier scene is always interesting to see. Uh, Batista, JBL, I don't think I could watch that one. But I'd, yeah, I think Randy Orton, Undertaker's early. Randy Orton's always interesting to see, I think. So I'd, again, I think we've done well with this one. Jerry, was there anything you wanted to see on this card? Um, yeah, I would have loved to seen all of this live, but I couldn't. Make, I did. I failed to make it work back in the day because um, I tried to go to this show. Um, I would have loved to oh. seen Hogan. I would have loved to talk about Hogan, HBK. This um, this is funny because this is like this is I think smack in the middle of the first period uh, of many to come where I just had lost all interest in WWE because yeah. like like if it wasn't for Ring of Honor and discovering Japanese wrestling I would have this probably would be the end of my wrestling fandom yeah I really um, I really lost interest in them in two thousand five yeah two thousand five is probably the last year that WWE was the only wrestling I watched after yeah. two thousand five the world would become open to me um. Yeah. But um, I really wanted to go to this show live. I was a broke college student when, and I begged my mom to buy me tickets for my birthday because I think, if I remember correctly, I think it was close to my birthday weekend when the show came on, or near it. I don't remember the exact date, but um, I wanted to go to SummerSlam for my birthday. And my mom, being the overprotective mom, she was like, "Oh, honey, I don't think you want to go to DC. Who knows what will happen to you in DC?" And Finally, she bought me the wall after SummerSlam tickets as a compromise for my birthday. So I got to see Jericho Cena after all, at oh, least. Oh, they, they wrestled on Raw, too. Yeah, because they had Jericho's last match for like two-something uh, years the next night. So I was there for what I thought was Jericho's last match. That's right. After The, so the night after, he, he faces Cena and then gets fired by Bischoff, right? He's like yeah. grabbing on the ring post to try to stay and stuff. Yeah, I was there. So I was there for Jericho's last match for two-something years, which was kind of cool. And I got to see yeah. Angle Shelton Benjamin live, which was a fun match. Yeah. So, but, you know, I still missed out on Hogan HBK. As ridiculous of a match as it was, it would have been cool to have been there live. So that's my yeah. pay-per-view that got away. There you go. I think the I went to a lot of WWE pay-per-views. The last one I ever went to, I believe, was like Night of Champions, either 08 or 09. It was whichever one had Triple H and Edge in the main event. So... Not exactly the most memorable pay-per-views. I barely remember going to it. I, yeah. Like I, whenever I'm making my list of pay-per-views I went to, I always forget that one until uh, my buddy Quinlan corrects me. He's like, no, we were at one more, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, that's my that's my last WWE show I've attended to date. So haven't gone to see them live in, you know, 12 or 13 years and uh, probably going to keep that up for much longer to come. Uh, anyway, so... Let's talk, the match we got here was Angle and the Undertaker. Or I, I'm sorry, Undertaker Randy Orton. I'm sorry. Um, the segment right before this, did anybody else see this? It features virtually every woman in the WWE at the same time in their bikinis washing a limo that says President of the United States because uh, they were in D.C. for the show. And the window rolls down to reveal Vince McMahon who says, hey, I can't do a Vince voice. He's like, hey, why not? And then we see a bumper sticker that says McMahon for president. Uh, not sure that would have been better or worse than Trump, to be quite honest. Who can really tell? Uh, they're both probably rapists anyway, allegedly. Uh, <laughs> allegedly, allegedly. But I don't I don't know. I mean, honestly, 
I mean, it, we, part of me says it couldn't have been any worse. Part of me thinks it could have been much worse. It would have been surreal to see the Vince struck through Congress, though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Orton still has his original theme here. Uh, I'm not sure when his... When, did anyone know when the Chancellor's current theme happens? I really have no idea. Because he's a heel at this point, but he's still got the, uh, you know, the very baby face theme. I guess I, nobody knows. I have no clue, sorry. <laughs> no, I'm not sure. No idea. Okay. Yeah, also, Randy Orton's uh, histories are just... it's. He's, he's a blob, isn't he? He's a beige carpet. It's just, it all seems to sort of melt, <laughs> melt together into just one mass of time, you know? I dropped out, he turned... I dropped out of Orton 101, so I know nothing. Because <laughs> he turned so often, too, that it's like, okay, was, was he a heel? Was he a face? His character is, like, so similar no matter what he is that, I don't know. It's very oh, it does say here in 2006 he was given this fire burns for one night only before he was taken, it was taken off him. Okay. <laughs> what, yeah. When does he get the current themes on you use? I guess is the question. I think it's coming up in the next few years, but I don't know which, uh, what year it is. Uh, there's nothing wrong with this match per se, but it's very slowly paced, especially early on. Uh, Undertaker does hit a very nice flying clothesline at one point, uh, which Orton takes this enormous bump for right on the back of his neck. Uh, but yeah, this one, you know, other than that spot really has trouble holding my attention. Just so slow. And the crowd most of the way doesn't seem much more into it than I do. Uh, Orton, you know, starts working over Taker's leg. Exactly what this nonstop thrill a minute match needed. But at least the crowd finally gets into it while Orton has this uh, simple, simple standing leg hold on. Uh, they, they start clapping for Taker and they do pop pretty big when he reverses it. Uh, Undertaker and Orton then do start doing these, uh, this tombstone reversal sequence going back and forth, which finally gets the crowd going pretty crazy. Uh, but neither man hits it, and Orton ultimately hits his uh, inverted neckbreaker across his back for a two count. Uh, there's a bit of a weird spot where Orton hits a crossbody off the top rope. Undertaker rolls through it, kind of, and then just gets like a single hand around the throat of Orton and like picks him up and hits a choke slam. I think that sounds cooler than it looked. Because the execution was like slow and weird on that on that whole sequence. Uh, Taker signals for the tombstone, but some weird old man in a beige suit, a beige suit, uh, runs out. Which I'm like, you know, again, I I have not seen this match. I'm not. I, I, I'm pretty sure I had never seen it, but I'm like, that's going to be Orton's dad, I'm sure. And there you go. I'm not saying I'm genius of the year figuring that out, but I was like, okay, who else would it be? He hits the ring. He distracts Taker as he, as officials try to get him out of the ring. Uh, that, of course, gives Orton time to recover and hit the RKO for the pin. Uh, and, you know, it's not WWE without a terrible finish, I guess. Uh, and boy, we've had our fill in this episode. Uh, afterwards, Orton pulls his dad's weird face makeup off to reveal that, yes, in fact, it is his dad. Uh, the two of them doing Randy's pose together are actually pretty funny. And then they... Switch from Orton's music to Taker's for no discernible reason. He lost his match. Why are we switching to his theme song? And he, like, very slowly, like, limps after them up the ramp. Uh, and then Taker, one of the, the, the one of these unintentional hilarious, unintentionally hilarious moments, he picks up the wig that Bob Orton threw off and does the Undertaker eyes, the, the uh, you know, the, the pupilless eyes in, like, pure rage. Which is just extremely funny. He's holding this wig like ah, like it's very funny. Uh, this wasn't bad once it got going, but between the long stretch of boredom and yet another patented stupid WWE finish, I really can't go higher than like three and a quarter. Pretty good, 
nothing more than that. Uh, and I'm only very slightly under consensus here. The grapple has it at 3.46. So there you go. What did you think of this one, Neil? I think generally there's something about The Undertaker that as soon as I see his name, I just get this. I can't be bothered with The Undertaker. I don't know how else to describe it. I think he's he's massively misunderstood by a lot of people as well, that he's this, you know, the epitome of he's how he's the, he's the reason spooky wrestling, you know, he, he's the evidence that spooky wrestling works. And I just don't, I find him, I just find him incredibly boring. I find him really dorky. You know, I find the fake MMA shit that he started doing around this time, just really weird. Like he put MMA gloves on. And there was a, a thing going around Twitter uh, last week from Brian Pillman, um, the late Brian Pillman, uh, about him having insecurities that he was a basketball player and everybody else in the locker room was a football player. And he got he, he's a very insecure man about that sort of thing. And, you know, the way he, he hangs around with his friends, but he doesn't just hang around with his friends. He calls them the Bone Street crew and they all get matching tattoos and they're all really hard, masculine men. And I just find him a little bit dorky. And I think the reason why he's considered so you know, he's lionized to a certain extent is because he's been pushed. You know, he's the re- people think it's this amazing character, this spooky nonsense. I think that's got absolutely nothing to do with it. It's the fact that his defining thing is that he was unbeaten for a long time. You know, the spooky stuff's got nothing to do with it. Even the stories that he was in before that were things like, you know, Paul Bearer betrayed him. It didn't matter that he spoke to the creatures of the night. He was betrayed by his mentor. You know, he, he, he caused an accident when he was a child that killed his parents and he thought killed his brother. Then his brother came back. The fact that they're cosplaying as, you know, morticians just doesn't really seem to make any difference. Um, so, I mean, I'm always on the back foot with an Undertaker match. I'm just, I just find him really odd. Like, I just don't get him at all. Um but I think they worked to the story. You know, the story of the match was um, Randy Orton's a cocky prick and he wants to beat these legends and Taker wanted to teach him a lesson. He was literally slapping him for the first half of the match that I really liked. Uh, but it's one of those matches... I mean, to me, this is the epitome of a gentleman's three in that it's competent, it's good, apart from the finish and that slight mess up with the choke slam, like you said, it was generally well-worked. It was just never exciting. I can't really go less than three because I thought they did the job well, but it's not a match that I can recommend people watch. Um, I think it's hinted, yeah, there was a slight hint that it was going to enter kind of another gear when uh, Randy Orton did the most powerful version of an RKO, the RKO out of nowhere, that was reversed to sort of Undertaker sort of just pushed him away. <clears throat> and then there was a sort of a tombstone exchange, excuse me, and I thought, okay, now we're going to go somewhere. And then that was ruined by, you know, like I say, Bob Orton running in and, and it was, oh, who's the man in the hat when it was it was absolutely blatant who it was. You know, Orton worked a limb. It was a competently told story, but the story was just ultimately quite boring. So, yeah, gentlemen, the, the, the epitome of a gentleman's three for me. All righty. Jerry, what did you think of this one? Um... Hmm, I will give it two and three-fourths. Um, very boring match. Like, I actually thought their WrestleMania match was good, and this was below that to me. Um, it was just boring with a very bad finish, and I agree with Neo. There was a part where you thought it was about to get good and hit that other gear. It's like, all right, you know, 
we've gotten through some boring stuff, but this might be where the match picks up and I can forgive it. And then we get Bob Orton Sr. pretending to be a fan with that weird mask, I guess latex max. I don't know. Um, and we get we just go straight to the finish with the RKO out of nowhere, and it's just really nothing there for me to really discuss because this match did absolutely nothing to me. I also feel I almost feel generous giving it two and three fourths. I mean, I guess it told the story it wanted to tell, but that doesn't make it a particularly good story either. So, yeah, two and three fourths. All righty. Uh, up next, so. I swear we didn't do this on purpose. Somehow, for our final two matches, we got the Chick Magnet Punk, Mr. CM Punk, who is in the news lately. It, I swear to God, it came up <laughs> randomly. Now, Daniel Bryan also in the news lately, and he we did not get anything for him, obviously. But yeah, we got two CM Punk matches to close things off, which is kind of funny. Uh, and I will say they are a very divergent quality. So... The first one is from SummerSlam 2008, uh, August 17th, 2008, from the Conseco Fieldhouse in Indianapolis. Uh, it opened with a dark match. The Big Show beat Bam Neely. Yeah. Who remembers Bam Neely? I sure don't. Uh, then we had Montel Vontavious Porter, MVP, beating Jeff Hardy in 10-10. Then we had another intergender match with the Intercontinental title on the line. This time it's Intercontinental and Women's title, winner-take-all intergender tag. Uh, Beth Phoenix and Santino Morella beating Kofi Kingston and Mickey James in 525 to win both belts. Uh, then we have the ECW heavyweight title. I watched this because it was 33 seconds and it was right before my match. And also uh, a huge anti-shout-out to Peacock, who fucking suck. Uh, I, I don't care enough about WWE to go to the, all the extra effort of, uh, you know, signing up for the network and uh, through, you know, overseas shit or whatever, but every time I try to watch anything on Peacock, I consider doing it. because Like, the fucking, the fast forward and the rewind are so horrible on Peacock. It's like, half the time they work, half the time they don't, and you have to go back out and reload the fucking thing again. It's just awful. So, when I got to this match, I'm like, you know what? Let me just watch this 33 seconds because, you know, why Why bother fighting with this thing some more? So, yeah, Matt Hardy beat Mark Henry with Tony Atlas by DQ in 33 seconds. Uh, I can review this one, too. 33 seconds. That's it. Matt Hardy hits a twist of fate on him, and Tony Atlas pulls, him, pulls the ref out for the DQ in, two, in 33 seconds. So there's your review. Uh, then the World Heavyweight title, CM Punk defeats JBL in 10:29 to retain. That's, of course, the match we got. Uh, then we have the WWE title. Triple H defeats the Great Khali in ten, exactly 10 minutes to also retain. Then we have Batista beating John Cena in 1410. Uh, their first ever singles meeting, I believe. And then the main event, the Hell in a Cell match, The Undertaker defeats Edge in 2643. Um, so I don't know. I don't know about this one. I mean, this card doesn't seem too bad other than... Uh, you know, the 30-second match, I guess, and, you know, a couple other things. And, you know, I would have liked to see... I, I'm perversely curious about Hunter versus Kali, like how how bad could that be? Um, I did read a review of the show that said it really wasn't that bad. I just find that very hard to believe, I guess. But uh, it would have been interesting to get that one. Um, you know, it would have been interesting to get Batista Cena, for sure. I don't really know if I need to see a 26-minute Hell in a Cell match with Undertaker and Edge. And I think I'm good. 
but I wouldn't mind wouldn't have minded getting either Hunter and Kali or Batista and Cena, but that's not what the randomizer gods had in store for us here. So, uh, what did you think, Neil? What what would you have rather gotten here? Well, I, mean, I was thinking the exact same as you about the Undertaker um, and Edge, but it's got nine point two one on Cage Match, four and a half in the Observer. So maybe that would have been an interesting one. But yeah, just the sound of that. I mean, it sounds like hell in my living room. Never mind hell in a cell. Um, sorry, that was awful. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. I apologize. Um, yeah, uh, Batista, John Cena would have been my choice. I think that seems like the most likely one to be uh, actually a decent match, I think. Um, but yeah, now you've said that about Triple H and Great Carly. That's 10 minutes, but I bet that felt longer than 10 minutes. I haven't seen it. Um, but yeah, that would have been an interesting one. But again, I think we've done all right with this one. I think we've I think we've got the best one from what I can see. Uh, what do you think, Jerry? I, I gotta be honest. I remember really enjoying Edge Undertaker Hell in a Cell. I really do. So I would have loved to have gotten that one. But really, for historical purposes, I would have really wanted Cena Batista being their first, you know, meeting. That would just been mm-hmm. fun to talk about. Yeah, that would have been interesting, I guess. Uh, so there you go. Let's get to the match here. So this is um, from Punk's original title run, where he cashed in the Money in the Bank on Edge on an episode of Raw on June 30th. Uh, his reign did not last very long, though. Uh, he wouldn't even lose the belt in the ring. He got beat up backstage before a championship scramble. Remember that? Uh, at Unforgiven a few weeks after the show, and he was forced to vacate the title which would then be won by Chris Jericho. And Punk would not get the belt back until he cashed in Money in the Bank for the second year in a row in June 2009. Uh, this time he did, That time he did it on Jeff Hardy right after he won the title from Edge in a ladder match, and that turned Punk heel for the first time in his WWE career. Uh, Punk gets almost no reaction coming out here. I forgot just how not over he was during this run, probably because they made him look like a giant fluke from day one. And he's, you know, defending his title on the mid card here. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just very, very much does not look like a, a big star here. That's for sure. They do chant for him a little bit throughout the match, but he does not, you know, comparing this to the one we're going to talk about in five years later, uh, you know, it's like complete night and day as far as his reaction from the crowd. Uh, JBL at one point hits a nice little fallway slam off the second rope on Punk. Uh, then he... Beats Punk up pretty slowly. We get a long standing rear waist lock from JBL, which just throws the live crowd and also just kind of makes Punk look like an idiot having to sell this very not devastating looking move is like fucking devastating. Like he's making these faces, he's trying his best, but like it's a fucking rear waist lock. Uh, Punk gets about three seconds worth of offense before JBL immediately boots him in the face and takes right back over again. Uh, JBL does hit a nice Saito suplex. Gotta give him credit for that one. But then he reapplies the same fucking waist lock, this time on the mat. Uh, There's a weird spot where they sort of seem to be on different pages, like colliding on a shoulder block. They collide in a weird way where, not like the pro wrestling way, but like a weird way where neither guy seems to know whether they're supposed to sell. So very weird. But JBL gets us back on track with a long abdominal stretch. Yeah. Keeping the excitement going. Uh, Punk finally gets two seconds of offense in. He looks for the go to sleep, but he can't get can't get it because his midsection his midsection hurts so bad from these devastating waist locks and abdominal stretching. Logical, but still makes him look like something of a dork. 
Uh, JBL immediately hits a very nice little short arm lariat. Uh, then he, he like he sort of pulls him into it, almost like a you know rainmaker without the spin. And then he drops repeated elbows on Punk and gets a two count off that. Uh, Punk makes another comeback, but they unfortunately collide heads as JBL is coming down off the Punk leg lariat. Uh, that seems to slow them down for a moment. JBL cuts Punk off again. Just like clubbers the crap out of him in the middle, uh, on the middle rope. We're hitting a backdrop suplex off of there. And you can now see that Punk is bleeding from the back of his head pretty badly. Uh, I don't know if they go to the finish right away because of that, or if there's, this is supposed to go longer or what. But yeah, Punk hits to go to sleep very soon after that and gets the win. So they might have just gone right to the finish because of the head injury. Uh, Afterward, Punk grabs the blood from the back of his head, shows it to the camera, and yells, I will bleed for this, pointing at the belt. Cool moment that would have been much cooler if he didn't lose that title in a backstage segment two weeks later. Uh, it's like, you'll bleed for this, or you'll get uh, fucking yanked out of a title match and be forced to vacate the title, either way. He did get a one-on-one -on -one title shot against Jericho eight days later on Raw, which he did lose, of course. But yes, uh, still kind of stupid way to end his title reign. But yes, this is all right. But all that JBL waist locking and abdominal stretching, uh, you know, just wasn't worth the punk comeback for me. Just too boring. I'll go two and three quarters. Uh, not far off the consensus again. The, the grapple average is 2.98. But yeah, just uh, just a little dull. What'd you think of this one, uh, Neil? Yeah, on the similar. It was, I, I like the setup. For it, I think that the story they set it up was quite cool. Like, you know, you've got the two very opposing characters, um, but there was sort of some little wrinkles in there that the punk was bothered that it was a money in the bank win and not a definitive win, and he wanted to, you know, that was driving him to have, um, you know, prove himself. I like that. Um, JBL was annoyed that he had to wait his turn. You know, he'd been there for ten years. Um, and Punk's just sort of cut this young whippersnappers just this young punk has just come in and, and and taken what he um you know what he felt like was due to him. I didn't think either of them were particularly over, to be honest with you. JBL didn't get much of a reaction either when it came out. Um Punk really couldn't do the pure blue eye thing. You know, there was bits like you say when he was being beaten down and he's trying to sort of clench his fists and get the crowd pumping, and it just didn't really suit. It didn't it, it was too traditional for him. But I actually quite like JBL in this match, and I know that might be quite like a bit, it surprised me. Uh, but he just he's very dangerous, JBL, and he? he's very stiff. You know, he, he, I feel like he's he's not a very good wrestler from a technical point of view, and he he really feels like he's going to accidentally hurt someone, which ironically they ended up you know doing and, and, and banging heads. I like CM Punk touching the blood and rubbing it on his face as well. Like he'd, he'd, he'd been cut open hard way, but he wasn't going to waste it. You know, he was going to make sure everyone could see. Um, I think the ending was a bit abrupt. I wonder if they called an audible. Um, punks, I mean, I'm going to talk about Punk's work, I think, in the next match because it fits better. Punk's go to sleep stinks. Um, and I, I just wonder if they wanted to end it a little bit quickly so they just, it was rushed anyway, so they made it seem even worse. I'm not sure if that was the case, though. Doing the big backdrop off the rope onto the back of his head where he'd been injured was the best way to get to that point. That seems like a needless way to do it. Like any other move would have worked better. Um, it was very much just a match with not much to it. You know, they had a great setup, but when it came to it, neither of them really wanted to, to 
uh, take the ball by the horns, pardon the pun. It was just, he was, he was, yeah, a little bit boring for me. So I'm with you. I think two and three quarters. Oh, there you go. Uh, what do you have here, Jerry? I have two and a half. Um, this match. Oh, Jerry, which... you've been lower than us on every match. I think. The WWE I don't think that usually happens. I'm usually, I'm like usually pretty the high girl. I think. <laughs> the WWE hater has logged on. And the thing is, is like I am prob- I have probably for years been the most forgiving of the WWE. <laughs> it hasn't even been until recently that I've washed my hands of them. Um, no, I also should say that I'm being very biased because JBL is like one of my least favorite performers of all time. Um, I find him boring. I find him obnoxious. I just don't like even back when people were praising his commentary, I didn't care for him. And then people stopped praising his commentary and I felt smugly correct. Mm -hmm. Um, this match was just boring. I have to be, I actually had to watch this match twice because I was so bored the first time I watched it. I got up to do something else forgetting I was supposed to watch it for this podcast. So I sit down, the match is over. I'm like, oh, shit. It's like, now I have to restart it. <laughs> and I still don't have much to say. Um, you know, Punk at this time was cold. Um, and I liked Punk. You know, I was rooting for him to succeed, but he was cold at this moment. Um, WWE had not really done many favors, and his character was not doing him any favors. And JBL... Like, I guess if I'm damning with faint plays, GBL was doing the best he could of what he knew what to do, but what he knew what to do wasn't enough to keep me entertained. So, yeah, this match is two and a half. Um, I would love to say they had a better match in them, but I honestly don't think they did. There you go. Jerry says, fuck that WWE. Uh, <laughs> Agreed. So, so let's see the, the last one here. Uh, is SummerSlam 2013, uh, which took place on August 18th, 2013, from the Staples Center in Los Angeles. The opener was the Ring of Fire match. Bray oh, Wyatt God, I defeats, forgot. <laughs> Bray Wyatt defeats Kane in 8-11. Of course, someone else whose name is in the news right now, Mr. Mr. Uh, Spookster, has been released from WWE for whatever reason. Uh, then we have Cody Rhodes defeating Damian Sandow in 636. Uh, that was the the, the uh, Rhodes Scholars explodes, I guess, after Cody won Money in the Bank. Uh, World Heavyweight... Oh, no, I'm sorry. Damian won Money in the Bank and then failed to cash in. Uh, World Heavyweight title, Alberto Del Rio defeats Christian in 1229. Then Natalia defeats Brie Bella in 517. Brock Lesnar defeats CM Punk in a no GQ match in 2519, which, since I already said it was a Punk match, obviously you know that's the match we got. Dolph Ziggler and Caitlin defeat AJ Lee and Biggie Langston in 640. Daniel Bryan defeats John Cena in 2653 to win the WWE title. And then Orton beats Bryan in nine seconds in the cash-in uh, after special ref Triple H turns on Bryan, starting the authority gimmick. Yeah. Everybody uh. loves that authority. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, this was, uh, the Brian, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I, I counted this as one match, by the way, for the randomizer. I wasn't going to sign us a nine second cash in as a match. I could talk uh, for a long time about that nine second <laughs> match. <laughs> yeah. But I wouldn't mind getting Brian Cena and everything that came after. Cause of course there would have been a lot to talk about there. Other than that, you know, I'm very happy with the match we got here. So anything you would have rather gotten Jerry, I, I assume maybe the main event, but. Okay, um, 
this pay-per-view happened one day before my birthday. So I was together with my what I called the best in the world crew to watch my favorite wrestler, Daniel Bryan, wrestle John Cena and win the title. That's all I wanted for my birthday. You got to understand this. Hey, you got it. I got it for it. <laughs> I got it. It was but then the monkey paw curled. <laughs> you know, if I mean, look, you asked for one thing and they gave it to you, Jerry. So I don't know what else you could want here. You know what? Don't don't, don't <laughs> throw this in my face. <laughs> I don't appreciate it. Just because I didn't come prepared with notes like Neil did, you don't get to throw stuff in my face. Uh, but no, um, that's all I wanted. So yes, I would have loved to have talked about this. And then you could have, you know, I could have gotten some pent up rage and anger out of my system. I mean, it's, I can't complain too much because I would, I would then go to WrestleMania 30 and watch him win the title at WrestleMania 30 live and cry and hug and just be extremely elated. But at this moment, I was so deflated. Can I say how everybody acts like, uh, you know, obviously they, they pretend that the plan all along was Brandon Brian which we all know it wasn't. Right. But I feel like nobody really mentions that the plan when Brian won the title was for him to get squashed by Brock Lesnar and destroyed at SummerSlam. Yes, <laughs> like, I, I know. Like nobody ever mentions that. Uh, obviously, John Cena ended up taking that spot instead. But like, yeah, that was supposed to be Brian. By the way, Brian getting destroyed. Just a, just one final fun footnote. If we want to talk about me and Daniel Bryan's disappointment, I was then live for that Royal Rumble next year when Rey Mysterio came out at number 30. Oh, and I that, Rumble. that is my favorite Rumble, I think. I just, <laughs> I just, the, the, you just, I can't even put it into words. You just think, I, I loved it. I don't know when, when number 30 came on and it wasn't Daniel Bryan. It was just the Schadenfreude from me. I, yeah, that's an, an amazing rumble. I just remember my best friend patting me back on. Daniel Bryan will make it into the main event somehow. And they got just, the rock boot, the rock. Dwayne the Rock Johnson got booed at a WWE pay-per-view because that that's how bad the booking is. I mean, it's just it's it's a perfect storm. I love that rumble. But um so, you know, so I get to watch Daniel Bryan lose to Bray Wyatt, which is probably Bray Wyatt's one great wrestling match. And then he doesn't come out at 30 and we all shit on Rey Mysterio. Who probably didn't deserve it, but there you have it. <laughs> yeah. So, there you go. Uh, anything you would have rather get gotten here, uh, Neil? I mean, main event, obviously, that's a, just a genuinely really good match. You know, I really enjoyed it. But everything else, just, I mean, Kane versus Bray Wyatt in a Ring of Fire match. I mean, Bray Wyatt, for me, is he's probably one of the worst WWE wrestlers of all time. I think he's definitely in the conversation. Um, but, yeah, everything else just seems like matches to me, apart from the one we've got on the main event. So, yeah, I think, again, I think we've done pretty well. Yeah. Just, just so, remember the infernal match was the beginning of was beginning of Bray Wyatt lore that would eventually turn into Fiend lore. So there you go. Yeah, I think there's an article for you there, Jerry. I think you should watch all of the Bray Wyatt matches and get us all up to date on Fiend lore. I swear, if Rich messaged me going, "Hey, Jerry, can you get it right on that?" I am going to be so upset. <laughs> but no, um, I've already written about how I don't like the Fiend. I think that will do well enough. <laughs> Uh, so we, the match we got, obviously, Brock and Punk, no DQ. Um, so this is basically, I guess you can call this like the beginning of the end for Punk's WWE run. Uh, you know, he feuded with his ex-manager, Paul Heyman, for months after this. Uh, it's basically his last big program. You know, he loses to Brock here, and then he faces Paul's clients, Curtis Axel and Ryback, pretty much all the way through the fall. And then he has a couple like very quick little programs where he's teaming with Daniel Bryan, against the Wyatt Survivor Series. 
Then somehow he beats the Shield in three-on-one handicap match at TLC, which is the infamous uh, Make Roman Look Strong match. Um, and then he bows out right after the 2014 Royal Rumble, which was supposed to start a new feud with Kane, uh, where you know, Kane chokeslammed him through a table to, to take him out of the Rumble, and the authority uh, that would have wrapped up apparently with a match with Triple H at WrestleMania. So which Punk famously had no interest in. Yeah, and wow, Um, just real quick, it just hit me because I told you I was at Royal Rumble 2014. It just hit me. I was at Punk's last match. Yeah, for now. For now. <laughs> Man, I had Jericho's last match for two and a half years, and now I had Punk's last match for now. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Um, Then, uh, so the match here, Brock obviously gets the early advantage. Punk quickly fights back, hits a very nice tope to the floor. Uh, Brock then just starts tossing Punk all over ringside like an absolute madman. At one point, he tosses him right into a television on top of the announce table, which like cuts his back open, which is really sick. He then takes the top part of the table, that weird little part they put over the table on these WWE announce tables. He puts it over Punk's back and just does a huge double foot stomp uh, right on the table on, onto Punk. Then he picks Punk up and does an even bigger belly-to-belly suplex overhead on the floor. Just sends him flying. And then he gets up and yells that he's the best in the world. Just an amazing sequence there. Uh, Punk tries to fight back with light kicks when Brock tosses him back in the ring. Pretty smart strategy. You know, if this was real, obviously that's what you would do. Uh, But Brock puts him right back down with one big cross-face punch to the face. Uh, Brock just keeps beating the crap out of Punk for a while before Punk comes back by biting him, uh, which Michael Cole kind of treats as a babyface move, which is kind of funny. He stuns Brock with kicks. The only nitpick I'd have in this little sequence is Brock's like putting his hands up, I'm out on my feet routine. is a little hokey, but whatever. Uh, Punk then hits a knee attack off the top. He hits repeated knees in the corner and then a high kick before he comes off the top of this horrible elbow drop. That gets a two count. Uh, Punk goes for the go to sleep, but the moment Punk tosses Brock down for the knee, Brock just like gets a Kimura on Punk. Awesome looking counter. He gets to, just grabs hold of his arm out of nowhere. Uh, and then Punk reverses that Kimura into a cross arm breaker and then transitions into a triangle. And it's just such cooler action than you get in virtually any WWE match nowadays. Just like, you know, doing all this cool mat work. Brock powers Punk up. And then power bombs him down, but that's not enough to break the triangle. Punk still got it on. Uh, Brock really teases that he's going to like tap, but then he powers Punk up again. Punk throws elbows from up there this time, but that can't stop Brock from hitting a huge running power bomb that damn near kills Punk. Just fantastic stuff. Uh, Brock covers after a moment to re- or after a moment to recover, and Punk kicks out too. Punk tries to dive off the top on the Brock on the floor uh, a little bit later on, but Brock holds the chair up and, you know, they all collide, but Brock seemingly gets the worst of it. Uh, Punk just wears him out of the chair afterward, but Brock catches the chair back in the ring, but Punk then low blows him to keep him from using the chair, and Paul Heyman's outrage at ringside is pretty funny. Uh, Punk then hits a top rope chair drop. That looks sick as hell. That gets a very close to count. Uh, Heyman gets up on the apron to stop Punk, Unfortunately, that's like the only downside of the match, really. That backfires when Punk grabs onto his necktie, though, uh, to stop Brock winning the F5 on him. That's kind of a cool spot if you have to do interference. I liked Punk just grabbing on the necktie, like not letting Brock F5 him that way. Uh, Punk hits go to sleep on Brock. 
but Heyman jumps in the ring to attack Punk and save Brock. Uh, Punk chases Heyman around ringside like a complete idiot and runs right into, the, into Brock for the F5 again. But then when you think Brock's going to hit the F5 and win, Punk counters into it midair to DET. That was another awesome spot. That gets another two count. Punk gets the Anaconda Vice on Brock. Heyman comes in with a chair. Uh, so Punk lets go of the Anaconda Vice. Punk punches him and then puts him in the Vice. Again, just very stupid when you're in a match with Brock Lesnar to you know, be targeting Paul Heyman. But that, of course, lets Brock hit Punk with the chair extremely hard to break it up. Hits him two more times, and then he hits the F5 on the chair, and that gets the pen. I forgot how much Paul Heyman got involved here. I really wish they just let Brock beat him clean, but what can you do? It's WWE. Uh, this is still an absolutely fantastic match. Uh, if AEW gets like half of this CM Punk, uh, they're getting someone special. Easy four and a half stars for me. Really the only thing you need to go out of your way to see that we talked about on this episode. And I'm right about where the grapple average is at again. The grapple is at 4.61. Uh, but there you go. What what do you think, uh, Jerry? What do you think of this one? This match is absolutely fantastic. Um, this was probably, unless I'm missing something obvious, this was probably the last great CM Punk match in WWE. Um, and what a great match to have. Um, just brutal stuff. This was before we had like, like Brock was a, still a world beater, but he hasn't hit, you know, I just ended the Undertaker streak super beast mode yet. So, you know, watching, so going back and watching this Brock and seeing CM Punk get some good, solid offense in reminds me, oh yeah, they used to be not as extremely one-sided, but make no mistake, Punk takes a beating this match takes a big beating and it's just fantastic stuff. The um, chair bow you mentioned just looked great. Um, we had some good counters. I love the triangle um, choke spot where Brock's trying to get out of it. CM Punk's holding on for dear life. And then we get that power bomb in the corner, I believe if I remember incorrectly and just, just awesome stuff. Like I'm just reliving it right now, talking about it. I absolutely love this match. Um, it's very high up there for my favorite Brock Lesnar match. Also, just, just wow. Um, you can tell when I'm really into wrestling because I'm really getting hyped up just talking about this. Um, just you know, this wow. I just I don't. I'm gonna keep saying wow because I'm running out of words. Just just a great match. And if you have yet to watch this, please go watch it because this is probably like I said, Punk's last great WWE match. It's one of Lesnar. I would say it's a top five, maybe top three Lesnar match for me. And yeah, I can comfortable at four and a half with this. Yeah, it's really, really awesome. What do you think, Neil? Uh, I've just realized, sorry, before I talk about this match, I'd, I'd conflated my Royal Rumbles before. It was the year after that Rock got booed. So they had two terrible Royal Rumbles in a row, which is even better. Um, this <laughs> yeah, match, I meant to correct you and then I kind of stuttered out of it. <laughs> I, I just got so excited by WWE being shit. Like, <laughs> I, just, I got a bit carried away. Um, I'm slightly below you two on this one, but I still think it's a really great match. I mean, I'm, I'm four, four and a quarter range. Um, if this match felt to me like that WWE style, the house style just done brilliantly, you know, it was, it was exactly what it needed, what, what they're trying to do done by two fantastic workers. See, I find that what you just said really interesting. Do you think this was the house style done perfectly? This to me did not feel like the house style at all. But I don't know. Well, like, more they, what the house style should be, if that makes that, more well, sense. That, yeah, because kind of... like they never do that, like t- like mat wrestling or like elaborate counters or anything. They they, they never do that. 
So they because they could, they could tell their story because they want to tell the story of the Paul Heyman and the not like the shenanigans. But then that always ends up bleeding into the work. Whereas what they did is they let these two wrestle the way they wrestle best. So and then work that into the story. So it's a bit more cohesive, um, which I think worked really well. Um I I again I think like I think Jerry you made an interesting point about this was sort of before Mega Beast Brock Lesnar because they were like bear hugs in this and rest holds. And I think essentially his later work is they just got rid of that and you just had you know what we had at the start of this with him absolutely battering CM Punk, which I, I, I love. I love matches. For me, a match will always get my attention in a positive way if the bell rings and the two wrestlers just run at each other. And they did that in this match, and it was, yeah, it was excellent. The problem I have with it, and the thing, I say problem, I'm still 4 4 and a quarter. I always feel with Punk that he's always wrestling right on the edge of his ability. I don't mean in sort of telling stories, but I mean in the, like, his physical ability. So there were things like um, when he jumped off the announce table, uh, his elbow drops. The triangle choke didn't look great to me. Um, it was kind of funny that they were mentioning UFC as well on the commentary and, and, and like Brock's UFC achievements. And then obviously we know what happened with Punk. Um, I just never really believed that Punk was going to tap out Lesnar. So that kind of t- took a little bit off for me. Um, but yeah, and the bit, there was a... I mean, I don't know if he said it because it's kind of muted, but there's a bit where he picks... Um, Lesnar picks up Punk on his shoulders going for the F5, looks dead into the camera and screams, fuck this, and then drops the F5 on the chair. And that's just cool. Like, I'm not... I know we're sort of in a post-Brock world now for a lot of people, but I'm not at all. I still think Brock, he's just a very big, intimidating man who will pick you up and drop you on a chair. And and, And Punk selling in this was excellent. So, yeah, I mean, easily easily the best match of everything that we've looked at. I don't even think it's particularly close oh, either. There's nothing. I, there's no, You could add all these matches together and they wouldn't even equal this. Yeah. Match. I mean, there's interesting stuff, but we've got digging for those interesting stuffs here. Like, if I if I watched D'Lo Brown versus Jeff Jarrett from 1999, I would have absolutely no opinion on it unless I had to for the show. Um, this is the match to go away and watch. I agree with you both. It's, yeah, really great. But yeah, I totally agree. Uh, definitely the the most interesting thing we watched by far. And like I said, the the uh, the only thing that I think is uh, you know even remotely worth watching really from this. I mean, there's some you know there's some interesting stuff in the other matches, but like nothing is close to this match. That's no. for sure. Thank you, random randomizer, for giving us one. <laughs> Gave us one great match out of six. This this I was like. I because I've done I think like oh god probably like I think six of these episodes now like I've done two Tokyo Dome, one WrestleMania, this one, uh, Dominion, and I think the anniversary shows. I think it's six unless I'm missing one. Didn't, just, I think didn't one, we do didn't we do the championship carnival together? Oh, you're right, you're right. You're you're on that one. So thank you. Yep. Champion carnival final. I mean, like the champion carnival final. That's gonna have a, a much higher hit rate than any SummerSlam match. Yes, it does. Know, <laughs> But, uh, but yes, I think this was still the worst slate of matches I've had on one of these episodes. I'm trying to remember the WrestleMania one might have been comparable, but I think this one was worse because it's like one match out of six being great is uh, not a good hit, right? Honestly. Although, I mean, although, like, although let's be honest, if WWE 
was able to hit that hit right now, we'd all be applauding it. <laughs> it's like you, he's yeah. like, you're trying your best, buddy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, one I mean, out of six matches being great for WWE as well. That's that's fairly high. Like the odds of getting even one great match, I think. I think, yeah, I think we've done well. I think, and nothing truly terrible either. That's what I mean, nothing. nothing yeah, like nothing that was. There's stuff that was at worst boring, but there was nothing that was offensive. I don't think. Yeah, it's a good point. So it could have been worse, but definitely not like the most thrilling batch here. But at least if you get horrible stuff, you can like make fun of it. <laughs> Where it's like there was nothing to even really make fun of here. It's just a bunch of boring stuff. So, in some ways that might be worse. But what are you going to do? Hopefully, people listening had a good time anyway. I had a good time. Uh, I did. My guests did as yeah, well. me too. Uh, anything you want to plug here, Neil, before we wrap things up? Uh, everything's on voicesofwrestling.com. So, voicesofwrestling.com slash Neil David, I think, goes to my stuff. But yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm, everything's on Voices of Wrestling for me. Okay. Twitter? Um, <laughs> my Twitter is at chubby underscore Cthulhu, uh, which I made when I was very young. So uh, I don't want to change it now because all my writing's on there. But yeah, chubby Cthulhu is the embarrassing <laughs> username for me. Yeah, well, mine's pretty bad too. Uh, Jerry, anything you want to plug? Well, obviously, you can find me on voicesofwrestling.com. I've been doing a lot of Noah reviews lately, which, depending on what you think of my Noah views, is good or bad. Um, I am on Twitter at thejarius underscore jer with very lukewarm takes on wrestling. Um, I have a book that's coming out at some point. It will be my first published novel. Um, it's going to be done by HCS Publishing. And I just have to end like I did the last one, trans rights forever. There you go. Uh, of course, you can follow us on Twitter at Wrestling Omakase. Uh, res- or Wrestle <laughs> I ruined it. Wrestle Omakase, Wrestling When I'm Fat. There you go. I think that's the first time I ever fucked up my own little catchphrase. Uh, so I'm <laughs> we won't chant at you, I promise. Well, I'm going to leave it in just to, for posterity's sake. Um, of course, if you happen to be going to Otakon this coming weekend in Washington, D.C., I have two panels. So uh, you can see me Friday morning, 10, 15 a.m. in panel room six hosting Japanese indie music. And then you can see me Saturday morning at 10, 45 a.m., uh, in panel room five, I think. Let me just double check that actually. I remember six, but not five for some reason. Uh, let's see. Uh, yes, it is indeed panel room five. Uh, 10.45 a.m. for another Japanese indie music panel. So two completely separate panels, uh, both going over some really cool artists and bands. Uh, a lot of fun if you've never been to one of my panels before. So, of course, the vast majority of listening are not going to Otakon, so you won't care. But if you do happen, I do know a couple listeners who are going, actually. So if you happen to be going, uh, please come check out one or preferably both of my panels. Uh, that'll be, like I said, 10.15 a.m. on Friday and 10.45 a.m. on Saturday. Not when I would have scheduled two loud music panels for, personally. I don't think they're really uh, meant to be morning panels, but that's when they scheduled me. So what are you going to do? Uh, of course, the Omakase Patreon, patreon.com slash wrestlingomakase. Um, I already did the long club before, so I won't do it all over again, but you know, a new one match episode coming up this week, uh, in our Tokyo Dome main event series. And the next time I'm with you guys for a full length episode, will be in two weeks on the Patreon to cover new Japan resurgence, uh, as well as some DDT and Tokyo Joshi. The next time we'll be back here on the free feed. If you're a cheapskate, 
but we'll pay the $5. I don't know. If you're not a patron, uh, we'll be back here in three weeks on the Patreon feed again to cover SummerSlam from this year, along with DDT, Russell Peter Pan from the Kawasaki Stadium. So that'll be, uh, again, three weeks from now. No episode next weekend due to Otakon. So I want to thank you all, as always, for listening. And I will see you next time. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.